You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I can't understand it. I don't know exactly how God does it, but I know he does, and I know my sins are forgiven. Verses going back and forth, right? I'm on a spiritual roller coaster. You know, one day I feel as if I'm very close to God. The next day I don't feel like I'm very close to God. Sometimes you may feel like God couldn't possibly love you. Those secrets you're trying to keep about your own life and the sins you've committed, surely he sees that and wouldn't want you to be a part of his family. If you're feeling that way today, Pastor Mike has some great news for you. God still wants you to be his child. He says you can come to him and lay those sins at the cross of Jesus. Your hidden mistakes are known already and you can have them wiped away today and forever. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 4 for his message, Knowing the Love of God. John here, in the progression of his writings here in 1 John, in his epistle, is really summing up. Uh, It's sort of like he's concluding this section on the subject that he's been treating, uh, loving the brethren, uh, knowing whether or not we are in God and God is in us. He has finished with certain arguments and propositions, and now he comes back to this experiential aspect this experiential aspect. Notice again, go back to verse 16. So here's the question that John would put to us this evening. Can we join him, can we join John and the first Christians in saying that we really know this love of God to us in an experiential kind of a way? And folks, let me tell you something. This is an extremely important question. You know, think of it this way. The profession of what we say What we believe, if it doesn't lead to some practical result and application in our lives, the truth of the matter, it's not of any value to us. Now, remember, John is writing to men and women living in a difficult world that certainly wasn't conducive to their Christian faith, even as we live today in a a difficult world. But the thrilling thing, according to John, is that although the world lies under the power of the devil, now I don't want to give him more credit than 
is do him. But it is true. Like, for example, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, in verse 4, he is referred to the God of this world. And think about it. I mean, he, he's really the one who's beating the drum that people are marching to. He's really in control. People aren't even aware of that fact. But nevertheless, and it is true, he is the God of this world. You know, if you've asked or questioned the average Joe on the street, do you realize uh, that you're actually following the devil? They would be surprised with even you asking them that question. They would probably respond, no, what are you kidding me? But nevertheless, it's true because he's the one who's pulling the strings, orchestrating all of the details, beating the drum that people are marching to. But nevertheless, and this is what John wants us to take away from this text of Scripture, it is possible, nevertheless, whether or not he is in control, whether or not he is the God of this world, it is possible, our living in in this difficult world, nevertheless, it is possible for us to experience this joy of the Lord, this joy abounding. Okay, so how can my joy abound? How can I walk through this world with my head erect? How can I come through triumphantly? Well, here's the main thing. According to John, I should know this love which God has towards me. And if I have that, I can say, as Paul said in the book of Romans in chapter 8, and let me tell you something, Paul knew something about troubles and difficulties and those kinds of circumstances. But in Romans chapter 8, in verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let me ask you the question. Do you know that love? Do you know God's love towards you? Can you legitimately make the same claim that Paul made here in that text of Scripture. And, and you know, this announcement that's broadcast here is found everywhere in the New Testament. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 2 and verse 20, it says he refers to Jesus as, and Paul is also the writer of that epistle as well, he says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know that love? That personal knowledge, that personal appropriation. Now, someone may be thinking and respond to me asking that question and say, yeah, but he saw Jesus. But he saw Jesus. i never seen Jesus. Well, you know, Peter picks up on that thought in 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 8, and he tells us, whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing You rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. You see, most of the first century Christians did not see Jesus any more than we've seen him. But they had the apostolic witness and teaching, and they accepted this witness and testimony of him. And thus, the result of which was the fruit of believing, they loved him and rejoiced in him with joy unspeakable. I mean, think about this. Read all of the early hymns of the church that were written. They're full of this sentiment, this expression of love towards God and his Christ, that desire to know him more and more, that personal awareness and knowledge of him. 
Think about this. Read the many Christian biographies that have been written over the centuries, and you will find that this is a theme that is the love of Christ towards us that runs right through them all. And so, therefore, the Christian position is not merely that I accept theoretically certain ideas about the love of God, but it is rather something I know by experience, that I know by experience. And that knowledge becomes an anchor for my soul. You know, Paul put it this way, and and think about the circumstances uh, in which Paul wrote his second epistle to young Timothy, in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, in verse 12, and he's facing an unsure tomorrow. He didn't know what he was going to face. He was being held as a political prisoner in Rome. You know, at the whim of the emperor, he could be killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. So he didn't know if there was going to be a tomorrow. But nevertheless, he wrote, For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know... And I hope and I trust that you can make the same claim. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So can you make that same statement? Listen, we must know the love that God has for us that's being recommended to us here in this portion of Scripture by John because life is always throwing us curves. And we're not exempt from troubles or difficulties or problems just simply because we're a child of God, right? But we have a hope. <coughs> there's a, whatever we're experiencing, there's a purpose and a reason behind those things in our life's experience. And that knowledge that God loves me, that he is with me, that I am one of his kids, carries, carries me through all kinds of life's problems and thus That's the reason why knowing the love of God by experience is so vital and essential. It's absolutely essential that we know this love. So that brings us to this question. And it also ends the introduction uh, to this evening's message. So how do we know that God loves us? Well, let me give you certain tests where you can gauge whether or not that you truly know that God loves you. The first of which is, and it'll be broadcast up on, there it is up there on the screen already. This is a question you should ask yourself. Is there an increasing awareness, realization, that I owe everything to the Lord Jesus Christ? That is that I am utterly dependent upon him and his perfect work. I'm referring to his life, his death, his resurrection. Let's bring this down to personal terms. Do you know that you are entirely dependent upon the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he bore the punishment for your sins, that he took your guilt away, that he threw it into the sea of forgetfulness, he removed your sins as far as the east is from the west? It's all centered on him, the person of Christ. I mean, if you don't have this down, think about it, There's really no sense going on because this is where our Christian experience begins. This is absolutely essential. Do you know these things? Is there an increasing awareness and realization that you owe everything to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, the whole argument of the Bible is that God demonstrated his love towards us by sending his son into this world. 
It all begins with Jesus and our acceptance of him. So let's talk about how this is manifested to us. And let me give you some additional ways to know for certain that you know the love of God to you. But again, the first point is there that increasing awareness and that realization that I owe everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, or do you put it off on some other thing? Do you come to the wrong conclusions about your life's experience? Or do you realize that it's all because of what God is doing in your life behind the scenes? And if you do, that's the first test. If if you have that understanding, that realization, that you honestly believe that, that God is working, he's he's the one who's pulling the strings and pushing the buttons in your life, well, guess what? Then you know something about the love of God. A second test, something else to think about. Is there a loss and absence of the sense that God is against you? I mean, think about that. In contrast, the natural man... The natural woman, the person who isn't born again of the Spirit of God, thinks and feels that God is against him. Like, for example, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, Paul tells us there that the carnal mind is an enmity against God. And that manifests itself something like this. When anything goes wrong, the unbeliever usually responds by saying, why did God allow this to come into my life? right? How many times have you heard that? You know, they put the blame on God. But listen, when we know his love, and again, this is why this is so important, and things go wrong, and sometimes it seems as if they're going wrong, we're looking forward to the good things God will do through them. Like, for example, let's say uh, they're downsizing at your place of employment, right? You got your pink slip, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, and so put two people alongside of one another. I've used this illustration before. Here's a believer and an unbeliever. The unbeliever's freaking out. He's thinking about, oh, man, you know, I got to pay my kid's college tuition. How am I going to do that? I got to my, make my mortgage payment. Got to pay the utility bills. This, that, and the other thing. All of his financial responsibilities. What am I going to do? You know, I'm an, I'm an older man now. I, I've been with this company for like 30 years And now they've just let me go. Who in the world is going to hire me, you know, at this particular age in my life? Whereas, on the other hand, you have the Christian who sees that as an opportunity for him to show himself strong on his behalf. And he's looking forward to it. He's thinking, wow, I wonder what God's going to do here. And this is a great opportunity to move me on to another place of employment and to provide for me in all other kinds of ways. But I have the hope that God is behind all of this, and I'm anticipating and looking forward to what God is doing. It's a matter of perspective, right? And faith and and hope as, as well. You see, for the believer, there's no fear of God. There's just a sense that God is working for me. We might not understand all of what's going on. We might not understand why. I mean, I've been I've I've been doing what I've been hired to do using the same example of getting let go at my place of employment. I mean, I've, you know, I've been putting in the hours, more than the hours that I've been hired to put in. You know, I've been giving it my all. I don't understand exactly why they let me go. I don't understand it. But nevertheless, I know that God is working for me. And I know that he is kind. And I know that he is concerned 
towards me. So think about this for a moment. Just, just, and I don't want you to respond audibly, but how do you respond to difficulties and life's disappointments? You know, that's one of the ways that you'll gauge whether or not you really understand, comprehend, and have experienced the love of God. Here's a third test for you. If you, in fact, know something about the love of God, well, then there is this sense that my sins have been forgiven. And listen, I, I, I'm not going to stand up here and, you know, lie to you. I, I got to tell you something. I don't fully understand or comprehend how my sins are forgiven. I know what the Bible teaches, that Jesus died in my place. He became sin for us who knew no sin. I know that. My sin was placed upon him on the cross. I know that he died for all of my sins, past, present, and future. But nevertheless, there is this sense that my sins have been forgiven. This, is, this isn't something that I even have to wrestle with. I don't understand it. To be honest with you, I can't stand before you and explain it. There's nothing that is, warrants God forgiving me of my sins. But nevertheless, I am aware of it. You know, I think about David in the 51st Psalm in verse 3. And in context, he's talking about his uh, committing adultery, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And he says there in verse 3, he says, my sin is ever before me. It was gnawing away at him before, that is, he got busted by the prophet Nathan, remember, back in Samuel. And, uh, and then he confessed his sin and his sin was removed. But it was eating away at him. And he says in Psalm 51 and verse 3, he says, my sin is ever before me. And I'm sure that you felt that way at times. But yet, I know without question, the moment that I pray and I confess my sins, my sins are forgiven. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I can't understand it. I don't know exactly how God does it, but I know he does and I know my sins are forgiven. Verses going back and forth, right? I'm on a spiritual roller coaster. You know, one day I feel as if I'm very close to God. The next day I don't feel like I'm very close to God. You know, I'm up, I'm down, I'm sideways. You've been there. You're questioning whether or not my sins are really forgiven. But if you know that your sins are forgiven, this is a test. This validates the fact that you know that you know something about the love of God. Let me give you another test that leads us to our next test, in fact. This is the fourth test. Is there within us a gratitude, a thanksgiving to God? I mean, no one can believe that God sent his only son into the world to die on the cross without feeling a sense of praise and thanksgiving. I mean, think about that. He emptied himself, the Bible tells us in the book of Philippians. He went from the most exalted place in heaven, worshiped there as the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, right? All of the angels around the throne worshiping him as God, the second person, to the lowest place upon the earth, born in a dung heap, uh, there in a stable, lying in a manger. He went from the highest to the lowest place upon the earth, the highest point in heaven to the lowest place upon the earth. When I just think about that, it just blows me away. I mean, how can you legitimately understand something about what he did for us and not feel a certain sense of gratitude and thanksgiving? You know, I, wanna, I wanted to uh, give you an example of this, and I chose 
a really interesting character. He's written up for us in Mark's Gospel in chapter 5. In Mark's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 18. Patty, if you put that up there. But let me, let me set this up for you. In Mark's Gospel in chapter 5, we're introduced to this fellow who is possessed by a legion of demons. And uh, we are told that this man, night and day, in the tombs and then on the mountaintops, cried out, screaming, cut himself with stones. You can only imagine the agony that this poor guy went through, through his being possessed by this legion of demons. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. And he cast the demons out. You know the story? There was a, a, a herd of swine nearby, and he cast them out. They went into the swine, and the swine went over the side of a cliff. Remember the whole, the whole? And then finally, he's sitting there in his right mind, delivered from these demons. And I want you to zero in on his response. And remember what we're talking about, that sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. So in Mark's Gospel in chapter 5, in verse 18, this man who was once tormented by a legion of demons, he expresses his gratitude and thanksgiving in Mark's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 18. And when he got into the boat, that is Jesus, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Begged him in what way? What What was he suggesting? Well, I'm reading into this now, but I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination. It must have went something like this, the conversation. Jesus, let me be your slave. Let me carry your bags. Let me polish your sandals, you know, whatever. Anything I can do for you. How can I show to you my gratitude? Okay, so let's bring this down to personal terms. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to praise God? Do you want to thank him? Let me ask you another question. When you get on your knees to pray, it is, is it always about you're petitioning the Lord for something in your life? Or do you start with a period of thanksgiving and praise? You should. That's the best way to start your prayer, with thanksgiving and prayer. You see, this is further proof of a knowledge of God and his love. You're just grateful for what he's done. There's that attitude and spirit of thanksgiving within you for God. Here's the fifth test. There is a desire to please God and an increasing hatred of sin. You know, if you hate sin, you are becoming more like God because simply God hates sin. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Habakkuk, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, we are told there concerning God that he cannot look upon iniquity. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can view his past teachings when you click on the Vimeo link or listen online. Just click on the Resources tab to find out more. Sometimes life can get busy, and between work, family, and all your other obligations, 
it's hard to find the time to dig deeply into the Bible for yourself. We want to encourage you to make time with the Lord a priority in your life. And we have some great resources linked at harvestnyc.org to help you do just that. We also invite you to join our mailing list for daily devotionals. You can sign up at harvestnyc.org. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. And be sure to give us a call if you have any questions. 212-247-1877. That's 212-247-1877. That brings us to the end of our study today. Join Pastor Mike next time to continue learning and growing in faith right here on In My Father's House. Oh